At the Indian Institute of Science, several timely research and technology development projects have been initiated to address problems arising from the current COVID-19 pandemic. However, due to lockdowns and the reduced functioning of the world overall, the researchers are facing difficulties in disseminating the results of their work. Through this series of informal conversations with some of the researchers and scientists behind some of these projects, we hope to gain an understanding of the what, the how, and the how does this help of some of these fascinating projects. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the series where we examine and uh, talk about the innovations and responses from the IISC to the current COVID-19 crisis. I have with me Dr. Aditya Gopalan and Dr. Himan Shudhyagi. Hi, Hi Vivek. Hi. Welcome, gentlemen. Uh, could I ask you to just uh, start by telling us a little bit about yourselves? Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, this is Aditya here. Uh, hi. Uh, I'm a faculty member at the Indian Institute of Science. I work in this uh, department of uh, electrical communication engineering. So by training, uh, I am uh, essentially uh, someone who worked in uh, design and analysis of communication networks uh, and then thereon uh, moved to uh, studying uh, aspects of uh, statistics and machine learning. So that's what piqued my curiosity uh, about many aspects of this pandemic. How do you make sense of data that comes out uh, during these times and uh, how do you sort of, how can you make some reasonable inferences and so on. And uh, Aditya, what were you working on before this happened? Like what have we, what has this pandemic interrupted? Well, I think it's interrupted uh, many things because I work yeah. with a uh, few students who do their uh, thesis projects with me on, on areas uh, relating to uh, sort of uh, statistical inference, uh, optimization, uh, basically algorithms for machine learning. Not, not to say it's also interrupted several other commitments I have at my institute, which have sort of taken a backseat. Super. Thank you. Uh, Himanshu? Hi, I'm Himanshu Tyagi. I'm also a colleague of Aditya in the ECE department in the Indian Institute of Science. And uh, in my regular job, I'm a full-time researcher and uh, I have students who I advise and I have collaborators, I teach courses. That's my regular job, but mostly research. And uh, I work in this area called information theory, which is sort of the underlying theory behind various areas such as communication, sometimes machine learning. So I'm a theoretician, but I have interest in developing algorithms and solving some real-world problems as well. And uh, and that's how I got interested in this problem. So actually, one of our colleagues who probably you will talk to later was trying to build a model for COVID progression when Aditya and I were discussing things with him. And we thought there is something we can study on testing. Since we're already there, it's a great segue to jump straight into this particular project that, that you're working on, which is essentially modeling testing strategies. Could you tell us a little bit about what exactly this project is, what it hopes to achieve? Okay, so I can start. So testing has various purposes, and it's important to understand those various purposes right up front. So you may want to test a person mm -hmm. so that you can figure out if this person actually has a disease so that you can follow it up in a hospital. That's the basic understanding of testing that we all have. Now, think from a policymaker's point of view. And policymaker can have a different view of testing. They may want to do tests to figure out what is the number of infections in our area, to estimate the extent of an infection. That's one purpose of testing, perhaps. Other purpose of testing, which uh, we hear quite a bit in media now, is to figure out who are the infected people so that we can isolate them and protect others from them. So this is 
perhaps we can call it containment that's the second purpose of testing and discovery of new threats so you have no clue this area has infection but still you would like to discover a new thread of infection here so that you can take care of that area as well you don't ignore that area so these three aspects are very different and to understand these three aspects and the kind of testing strategies or sampling strategies that will be useful for these three it's important to model these things mathematically and try to understand how infection spread and how we can measure it so that's what we try to do we aditya can elaborate yeah actually uh, even a more broader perspective uh, this pandemic the coronavirus disease is actually unique in the sense that testing is actually a real uh, problem to think about here it's not like you know measles or chickenpox where where symptoms are fairly apparent and uh, to add to this there is the other problem of uh, you know the testing methodology for covid is very very uh, specific and it's also very scarce uh, you can't really test anyone and everyone so that actually leads to very challenging problems of uh, working with limited testing resources to apply to very large populations like the one we have in india or even the world to try and actually achieve uh, goals of uh, public health uh, measures uh, like containment and so on trying to appropriately take action there so if i understand this correctly what we're actually talking about is figuring out how much to test whom to test when to test are these the questions that you are investigating Yes yes largely these are the high level questions you know you have a limited capacity for testing how do you sort of deploy these tests when where and how to add to these there are also uh, some some more uh, differences in the kinds of tests that are available so you may have heard of uh, the sort of uh, standard test for coronavirus which is called the rt pcr test it's a very specific test but however uh, it's not a test that uh, can be manufactured easily and, and scaled up there are other kinds of tests which are a little more uh, perhaps cheaper and inaccurate there are antigen tests and there are also these tests called antibody tests each of them has uh, their own uh, characteristics how reliable or unreliable they are their characteristics also depend on when you are testing an individual the standard rt pcr test will uh, will tell you reasonably uh, accurately that someone who currently has a disease has it is actually having it whereas uh, something called uh, an antibody test will only be able to tell you that a person underwent this disease few days after uh, the person has actually fought off the disease and recovered you know, so there's also the issue of timing and, and sort of every every day really matters in when you can deploy tests and when you can get the results and when you can act upon yes and just to sort of switch tracks a little bit uh, into a question that i think has been asked ad nauseum from the beginning of this escalating situation is uh, how much testing is enough uh, i think there have been different countries that have followed different models over this period of time and of course many even we have changed our model i think from week to week or month to month in response to how the virus has spread so is there an answer to this question at all how much testing is enough so yeah that's a that's a very complicated question actually very difficult to answer this question to a scientific satisfaction but maybe few things that we observe that we have observed in our experience with this area is that depends on what you want to do so for instance mm-hmm. if you want to understand things like how fast the disease is spreading then you can make do with very little random testing but if you are want to answer a fine grain question like how many people in bangalore are actually infected then uh, of course you can it's clear that with the number of tests we are doing per day uh, it's very difficult to answer that kind of a question if i can just ask you to elaborate when you say modeling these testing strategies 
the RST, the contact tracing, location-based testing. Are these the policies you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Th- th- this was our interpretation of what uh, was happening uh, out in the world. But so broadly speaking, th- a testing strategy is just the following simple thing. So you have a limited number of tests to deploy and you have a really large population on which you can deploy them. Okay. So one person yes. can be tested with one test and that will consume one resource of testing. Okay. Yes. So there are there are some guidelines uh, that are already issued by, by the government of India, for instance, about who gets priority for testing, for getting tested. There is a category of symptoms which can qualify you for testing on a high priority basis. Healthcare workers working at the front lines get priority. There are also things like if your friend or a contact that you know very well has tested positive, then you must be tested uh, on a priority basis. Okay, so there are these things which are already specified, but there is some scope uh, uh, outside of these to try and uh, design uh, ways to uh, sort of prioritize individuals uh, for testing. Even within these, there are different ways in which uh, individuals in the real world may enforce uh, priority, you know, which, which person gets tested over which, which other person. It may depend on the decisions of so many people in the healthcare system, doctors, people, uh, technicians, in laboratories and so on. So we just wanted to start by just uh, trying to uh, you know, model uh, those things mathematically, how an individual gets tested at what time. You know, based on uh, the existing policies uh, for testing, like like what ICMR is outlining. So one of those is what is called contact tracing, uh, as I just described. Uh, you know, so this so even sort of setting up this prioritization, studying it, and understanding how uh, what kind of uh, trends uh, are produced by such testing strategies uh, is what we were interested in doing back in the day. And so we observed some uh, interesting uh, things, like contact tracing, for instance, has a larger uh, bias towards uh, picking out uh, people who are actually positive. If you look in the neighborhood of a COVID-positive person, you're more likely to find a person there than if you just search randomly in, in a neighborhood, right? As opposed to more uh, sort of uh, purely random kind of testing strategies, uh, which will be less biased, but which will uh, nevertheless be able to reflect the trend of uh, the ground truth more uh, precisely without any corrections and so on. So, I mean, just to come back to your question, we started out uh, doing this. Uh, we started building a software framework to simulate uh, these models of testing and so on and started studying the kinds of uh, trends that would result, the numbers that would result if you carried out these strategies. And uh, after that, uh, there was this interesting uh, juncture where uh, the authorities, the uh, BBMP in Bangalore, which is the municipal corporation, approached us saying, uh, you know, we'd like some help with uh, understanding what's going on uh, in these containment zones that have been set up. You know, we'd like to understand a little, be- little better the disease dynamics in those uh, areas uh, and uh, perhaps that uh, you could help us also try to evaluate and design uh, strategies for testing within these micro-containment zones. Which kind of people should be uh, getting a little more priority over others in order to sort of uh, make inferences about these containment zones, maybe figure out when to tear them down and so on and so forth. So that was a very different uh, kind of engagement, sort of a more uh, consultatory uh, engagement which we started uh, getting involved with. And and that's been uh, going on ever since. So, so BBMP and the local authorities are actually using these tools to decide what, what to do next. That's really encouraging. Yeah, they're consulting with experts. Including the two of you. Uh, yeah. I, Maybe yeah, I'll add just, just, I think uh, because you asked what is this modeling thing about. So what is modeling anything about, right? For instance, in a school, we learn Newton's law of motion. That's modeling the entire complicated creature called universe in very simple ways. So modeling can have two different use cases. So one use case is to simulate scenarios, recreate scenarios, which may take years to observe in nature. 
and then try your policies on that and then see how it goes that is one part second part of the modeling is to fill the gaps where you don't know anything so for example in this setting what we don't know is how people meet each other this the how infection spreads is inherently linked with how people meet each other and uh, you can get more and more data about it that's what ground staff on bbmp will go and do this contact tracing ask you questions or you can use technology for it that's what this apps like arogya setu and the data from facebook can help with but you can imagine that it is next to impossible to exactly know who meets whom and have a complete understanding of this and so what a model here will do it it will guess how people in india will meet each other so they will say perhaps younger people meet each other more likely than of younger people meeting and older perhaps people go to this shop more likely than uh, other shops and that's what a model will do it will help help us fill that gap those gaps in and then once we have these kind of things then we can evaluate over this model the efficacy of different testing strategies so just to give an example if you test let's say in a popular shop is it a better strategy than following the contacts of infection and then testing them how do these two strategies compare both sound reasonable and we can do those kind of experiments in a software framework that's really fascinating is this also i just wanted to come back to what aditya mentioned about the bias in in that's inherent in a testing strategy if you deploy it only in a certain uh, way is this also connected to that uh, himanshu in the sense of one strategy will obviously be biased to finding more positives whereas the other uh, right might not yeah right so so bias is uh, can be good or bad it is something negative in the sense it's something not not preferable if you're trying to estimate the ground truth the unknown ground truth but it is something preferable if you're trying to find all the people with covid and isolate them you want to quickly find so you so so bias is uh, bias here is in the statistical sense it's a bias towards one side in comparison to the ground truth that's what bias means here so in the early days of infection people don't mind bias because they want their few tests and they want to ensure that those tests find positive people so you focus on contact tracing in the beginning that's the bias he was talking about makes sense so coming back to this model that that you have developed and that you are currently using to analyze the various strategies firstly is this is this model deployable across the country i mean is it geography agnostic in that sense well actually yeah. to an extent uh, it's not good to be geography agnostic is what uh, is one thing we have learned in the sense that uh, your geography actually can play a very important role in dictating the uh, you know how the uh, infection can evolve so we have, we have actually for our for most of our studies we have instantiated our model uh, for the geographic area of either bangalore or uh, you know actual uh, smaller zones within bangalore with actually uh, an explicit aim to try and model the geography of bangalore as well you know i'll tell you what that means means that uh, you could model things at different levels of you know detail so in our initial study we basically took a you know a, a city scale model of bangalore with all its wards and so on and we we got you know we knew how population was distributed in these uh, areas so in our digital sort of clone or a simulation framework we we basically uh, instantiated individuals within this model proportional to the population density okay. but that's sort of uh, that's that's just that one piece of data we had that time we also use some other sources of data like mobility data from bangalore and so on to actually model how people interact within the city so that gave us some interesting insights in the sense that we found that often uh, 
several zones uh, in in the city uh, like containment zones that we actually modeled uh, being a little faithful to the layout and the you know the population distribution within those zones actually affected uh, we, we saw that it actually affected the evolution of these uh, the covid active case count uh, in, in in a very specific way okay so just to give you an example you may be seeing actually in media these uh, these statistics for uh, nations like india and states like karnataka and so on or other countries like italy and and and, and usa uh, so the country wide curves look like a, a standard rise and fall curve okay that is what is predicted by what is called a very uh, basic model in epidemiology called sir model uh, but but the reality may actually be very different if your population uh, is distributed uh, very unevenly maybe in a small uh, uh, if if you look at a small suburb or an area in bangalore and so on Uh, we found out that the uh, you know the number of active cases could actually rise and fall several times this is sort of one learning or unlearning that you could say we unearthed that uh, you know you need not have just one rise and fall uh, there could be very very uh, different patterns of uh, epidemic evolution just depending on the geography actually so uh, coming back to your question while uh, the simulation framework we have built is flexible enough to be uh, instantiated uh, for any geographical area Uh, in a sense the, the the geography or the connectedness structure of that area is actually crucial to the uh, workings of this framework right okay so it's talking about your specific work um because something you said really uh, interested me and i wanted to sort of see if we could unpack it a little so let's say that we are in uh, where i am right right now which is uh, let's say banaswadi okay and in your uh, in your model you have uh, the number of people who live in this ward uh and you have uh, you used the word instantiated i think yes uh, and this particular shop about 2 kilometers away from my house every 3 days right so can 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 we try and unpack it using like me as an example just Does yeah, that so make just, does that just, make sense? To, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that makes perfect sense, and that's how actually yeah. you are already when you are thinking this way, you are already thinking of a model. But one thing I want to say upfront: these models are not to track or model any particular individual. They are to model a larger behavior as a group. Uh, so this is the mismatch between what can happen in theory and what will what is needed on the ground. On ground, I actually need to track an exact individual, and then there is nothing better than an Arogya Setu app or something like. but when we are evaluating testing strategies we don't really care about an exact individual's behavior we care about the behavior as an entire group entire ward and that's where modeling plays a role yeah so this is typically what you're saying is how this is exactly how we will think about modeling uh, we will imagine a person's day in an area and keeping maybe even that area in mind so suppose it's a containment zone like padrayanpura and it has lot of narrow streets so we'll imagine that people will tend to not stay in their home because it's these are tiny homes and it's difficult to stay in they probably will get down on the street even during lockdown and that's probably where they'll spend most of their days and since all the transportations are since it's a lockdown people are probably not taking their vehicles out probably they are walking along the streets and so that's how people are interacting probably they are going to a uh, few places to buy their essential essential supplies so if we have knowledge of the exact location of those uh, few essential supply stores that are open that will help us know where people go and where do they come back and we take a we take a google map kind of satellite view of the area and out of that we create sort of what are called this uh, geo json files which have 
essential features of that Google map because Google map is very complicated. So it will have a box which represents a building and, and we will think that if this building is broader then there are more people living in it. That's what Aditya is calling instantiating. So we are distributing people, keep, keeping reality in mind. Right. Uh, but again, okay. I have to come back to the disclaimer. No matter how careful you are, you have to imagine that this is only a model. Human behavior throughout the day of 30,000 people in a place like Padrayanpura is very complicated. And uh, there is no way a mathematical model can capture all of it. But it captures the essential features. So for example, just to add to what Aditya was saying about these curves, so imagine two areas, one area where everyone just mixes with each other, single area. Okay, So they meet each other quite frequently. Now, if infection comes to this area, one if one person gets infected, this person may infect others and the number of cases will go up, go up. And at some point, you have enough people get infected and then there's no more person to infect and then the number of cases will come down and at some point, the life cycle of epidemic of the disease will be over in that area. But now imagine the same area with two different buildings, one small building and one huge building. And suppose the infection comes in this small building. Now again, these infections will rise and they will start decreasing. And suppose these buildings don't talk to each other so much. It's very rare that someone from small building goes to the huge building. So when infection is going down, suppose towards the end, someone from small building goes and infects someone in the large building. Now, again, you may think it's dying, but it may start again and it may start rising again. And it may be even the second peak can be even bigger than the first peak. So these are the kind of scenarios which you can explain very well in uh, hindsight. And uh, it's explainable without any mathematics. But we use mathematical modeling to discover it and to somehow study their effects. This is very similar to what happened uh, when the lockdown eased, right? Uh, when we actually felt, at least here in Bangalore and Karnataka, we felt that the numbers were in control and everything was okay. And then, you know, interdistrict travel was allowed and then... Right, right. So you are right. So just to clarify, this can happen even without any lockdown. But of course, lockdown will reduce the number and then things will rise again. But what we are saying is just because of the way people are interacting, this same kind of thing can happen. That it can saturate and then come down and then go up without any lockdown. Of course, lockdown is an external thing where you cut some connections and you dissuade people from meeting each other, which changes how disease are being spread fundamentally because you have essentially stopped people from interacting with each other. So that, that's, that's how it will stop. But what I'm trying to say is this can happen even without a lockdown just because people don't meet each other uh, across all buildings that way. People, perhaps in Bangalore, there are four different cities uh, living who don't talk to each other that much. And you can imagine this first city gets infected and at some point it crosses the second city within Bangalore, right? Especially in Indian society, you can imagine that it's not like everyone is meeting everyone. There are various levels and people are meeting. When we spoke last week, uh, there was something very interesting. One of you said about uh, there being no absolute right or wrong in terms of even with the, you know, the, uh, the use of statistics and mathematics and oh God, Himanshu is holding his head. <laughs> this is, this is, Seems to be one of his favorite questions. I mean, at the end of the day, what, how best can we use the data that is being mined, whether from a policy perspective or from an individual, let's say, layperson, citizen perspective? I, I know, I know, these are really reductive questions. Uh, Actually, in our experience, we would even contest the contest the characterization that you know there is already data that is mined, and it's just the problem is just in using it. Even that is actually. Uh, 
much more complex scenario than it than it than it seems it's not that there are there, there is a storehouse of data that is being collected which can be easily accessed even you know what we have discovered more and more uh, you know actually seeing uh, data pipelines uh, you know in our experience with the city authorities and so on is that even collecting data in a systematic way uh, in an exhaustive way you know in a consistent way is actually easier said much easier said than done there are various different sources of data that uh, that each may be valuable uh, and are being used you know there is uh, separate contact tracing data there is separate clinical data there are some uh, geolocation data there is useful population level data like you know land use data population census data and so on which is lying in a different corner of the city and it, just the problem of trying to bring all of these together uh, to try and uh, bear uh, upon uh, sort of problems of epidemic control and so on we are a part of this thing called cisco center for networked intelligence which is a center in iic and through it we have written a proposal to hitachi because that's a software company they can help us with software development to integrate this various data sources so these efforts are underway it was in the papers recently about about us having lost about 11000 case files because a lot of people were giving wrong data they were giving wrong phone numbers Uh, and and then of course there were a lot of people who were avoiding tracing by alighting at smaller railway stations because you know then they wouldn't have to go through quarantine yeah so i completely understand what what you just said about data collection itself being a major hurdle especially in a country like ours turns out that this problem of data collection is something aditya and i have been discussing quite a bit recently just from not not as a not as a scientist per se but just as a citizen of the country so uh, it is actually an extremely challenging problem as aditya said for various reasons one thing is what you said that people themselves are not so sure about why is this data being collected and why do they give it away or not or something like that second part is the people who are collecting this data who are these people are they do they even have the access to a computer before that are they comfortable in uh, entering data and these are serious things like disease names what if someone types a disease name wrong okay also another thing uh, i would i think it's a problem is that when when an, when a public organization let's say a policy maker sponsors up a data pipeline what will the policy maker do it will go out to vendors and say we want this this product and vendors are this giant companies i don't want to name any but they are we know who will sell right and they have their already existing products and there is no way they will create a new product for this new demand so just uh, just to clarify when himanshu says products by vendors they mean thing he means things like you know database systems you know ways of recording data in their own format and so on right and, and based on how much our agencies are paying they will patch up some solution modify their existing solution and give it to them i think this is uh, not how this can be done it's a completely new problem no one has ever thought about and uh, and and there is a huge opportunity for startups to enter this space and to solve this problem ground these these have to be solved ground up they cannot be solved in a patchwork way these these are very simple problems as such it's not it doesn't require a breakthrough in technology but it requires a ground up implementation we cannot buy a product which will help you collect or our data for contact tracing we cannot buy a product like that and if you you have to develop it thinking and thinking of all possibilities who are the people using it keeping everything in mind and in fact uh, collection and assimilation of medical data has been a challenge even for companies which pay a lot for public policy makers and for governments to do it it's even a larger challenge because scale is much larger and people using it is much larger 
there's a there's a very nice analogy which sometimes come comes up in our conversations with each other uh, there is actually a very very well oiled and functioning system for data collection which is very organized it exists for many many decades now okay it is the indian population census system okay so they have actually solved uh, or at least they are much further in sort of uh, having uh, grappled with a uh, you know data collection data management and uh, inference problem okay about many complicated uh, aspects of the country for a long time and they they've sort of uh, you know developed that system quite uh, you know now it's a well oiled uh, system within 10 years there's a very detailed uh, thing done and you know there are sampling strategies involved there people have given thought to that there's data collection organizations so so perhaps uh, maybe it is just that we were not really prepared uh, for a for a for a public health crisis at this scale Uh, that we had anything in place or we had uh, or we had any opportunity to sort of try out uh, uh, you know these kinds of data infrastructure uh, infrastructure systems and so on it's just that we have hit the ground running i think uh, mm-hmm. so uh, i mean at least i think the lesson from this is to sort of uh, think a little deeply and ground up uh, as himanshu said uh, about uh, how you would actually be uh, how you would actually try to set up a system that organizes data and useful data and to be able to deal with such disasters in the future yeah so take an example of a company uh, like amazon <laughs> delivering across the country setting up this in 10 years right no not much more it's not that that long a period and i'm sure that it's a perfect data system now how were they able to do it that that whole idea of engaging experts and making them aware of exact problems you are facing so that that problem can be solved a giant company which is cash rich has all these mechanisms built into it problems are articulated well and shared with experts and then there's a team to implement the solutions right away governments on the other hand uh, who probably work on much more important problems than what a company like amazon works on unfortunately many of these gaps will be there and this expected even to articulate the problem is difficult and then making that problem available to experts in within india forget about global experts it doesn't happen that often and it's and then getting the company who will fix those things i think those things are missing and it's not because uh, people are not working hard i mean uh, the little we have interacted with the government officials they work extremely hard and for 12 to 14 15 hours a day for 6 7 months is not an easy life i think and that's how they they have been working since covid has started but still i think what it has told us is that uh, this time we were caught a bit unprepared but going forward we need to get our data pipeline fixed we need to be able to get information about our people about how they interact with each other at a short notice this is some necessity for every disaster management it looks like of course it has issues like privacy and other things which is a topic for another day but it's not like they cannot be handled we have to respect all that and solve this problem uh, that's not an excuse to not solve it this problem can be solved it's all the technology for this is available and government is trying to and should continue trying to reach out to to people who know this stuff and and it's not it's not a traditional gap it's something new that we can do now only now we can share data at the scale uh, and since we successfully implemented something like aadhar i'm sure that we can implement other scale systems which collect data actually this kind of segues into what i was uh, wanting to go into now which is um, this will pass right in about it'll take it's time you know 6 months 1 year 2 years nobody really knows but it will pass but also it's a guarantee that something else will come again we don't know when in 20 years 50 years 100 years it will come so is if we look at humanity as an institution 
what is our institutional learning what does it need to be going forward i just uh, compared what was done for 1918 influenza with what is being done now there's a huge difference in how biology has shaped up uh, we are doing uh, more advanced tests and we very quickly were able to identify what is the disease about and so on and so forth in terms of public policy management is pretty much the same if you look at the no because if you look at the uh, circulars they were issuing they said wear masks they did contact tracing they did lockdowns exactly and social same. distancing yeah. social distancing lockdowns were there it's exactly the same management doesn't look very different the only thing that seems to have changed is exactly the fact that we have data available readily now we can use an arogya setu app to do contact that's the only thing that has changed if you read newspaper or circular issued from bbmp and you read circular issued by philadelphia city when they were maintaining that uh, when they were trying to manage that epidemic they don't look too, too different they say they have the same wisdoms so there are some age old wisdoms which are but we can implement them more efficiently because of this technology so this is the just a small remark humanity as a whole yeah <laughs> many many things so it's amazing to think that the, because i've read about this right i mean if, if you if you open your facebook or your twitter or you open the newspaper you read you see one meme about how it was 100 years ago but you never think about it as being the same thing you don't yes. think about that at all right but i think uh, medical progress has been tremendous because the number of deaths are substantially lower till now so this this thing about lessons for humanity so uh, maybe maybe so, let me contextualize that yes. a little let's take this work that you are embroiled in right now right modeling the testing strategy do you think you will still continue to work on this to improve the modalities and the efficacy of you know the results or the inferences that you can draw that's where i'm getting at or will this shut and will you go back to life pre pandemic i think uh, it's it's certainly here to stay in terms of uh, sort of uh, how much uh, is is not known in terms of uh, you know large scale testing and so on at least my opinion is, is there certainly a lot to be done about informing uh, sort of uh, research uh, which will probably eventually result in implementation about how to uh, test in certain you know optimal ways optimal is just a word i mean however you define it but i think uh, these are new questions uh, that ought to be investigated in in the current times as himanshu says with the you know the availability and usability of several data sources so so that is certainly i think a challenging problem it will continue to remain challenging for a while and i think we expect to sort of follow up on what we are doing maybe to try and make it a little more mature spend some time thinking about uh, how to solve uh, the problem in a more concrete way there are effort across world like many many universities are setting up something around this so i guess uh, your question is also related to how academic ecosystem works which is something perhaps many people don't know about so so the thing is like uh, any top place university like iisc or top level university like iisc or the great universities of the world basically they hire freelance thinkers okay so there is no compulsion to do anything so the question is don't, when would someone... don't quote us on this <laughs> No I mean of course every system has some mechanisms to ensure people don't go crazy and they, <laughs> and but more or less there are different kind of reasons why people sustain some area like impact can be one that you are living in a country and it will be a pity if you can't use what you know to help the country you are living in right so we see a problem and we try to see if what we know can be applied here because uh, that's how researchers across the world will be behaving but the other part what every researcher is looking for is a challenging problem it's very rare that we want to solve a problem which is solved even elsewhere so if a problem is solved even elsewhere it's rare that someone like you want to do something completely new uh, innovative push the boundaries and all that 
so when i think it is true that this pandemic problem the epidemic problems and mathematical modeling somehow if personally if you ask me like 10 years ago aditya worked on it earlier also but it felt like it is something which about which we understand a lot if you didn't think it through at the surface of it and then when we started digging deeper when this pandemic hit us we realized that actually we don't know anything about there are many many very basic questions which have been answered in a very strange way and every area has its own wisdom conventional wisdom epidemiologists have these numbers which have come out of years of thinking but as an outsider like we are sort of outsider in this area with some mathematical training when we hear those numbers they seem to be drawn out of hat like herd immunity will develop when 60% of people will get it who gave the 60% number why is it not 10% 5% similarly who will say 8% test positive rate is what you should strive for 30% is too high it should not be that way should not be 3% either what is this 8% what are the mathematical so we realize that actually this area which is so important has many many interesting problems uh and the reason these problems are not probably articulated again compared to the same problem because governments are not in the business of articulating problems which they should get into because they don't think of it that way let's pose it and the world will solve it and then companies have been doing this very well most of the research in many many areas are driven by very few companies because they are master of articulating difficult problems challenging problems which research community jumps and solves this is something which this pandemic is bringing out and this area itself requires a lot of research aditya as he was mentioning we plan to continue because not big of course we should do it because it help in the future but it's also exciting because these problems are completely unexplored and there are many many issues that need to be solved and this is not just our realization there are many leading research groups in the world who are now looking at these problems it's difficult right now because things keep on changing and they move very fast and but they are collecting problems and i suspect that this problem will remain important for next 2 uh, 3 years at least so yeah we we plan to do that everyone plans to do that that's really really reassuring thank you so much then one last question and then i'll let you go is since we did speak about universities and their modus operandi and iisc in particular what has it been like over the last few months working in iisc particularly on this in terms of you know the support you've received from the senior management or from in terms of your infrastructure in terms of your student body etc etc anything any anecdotes you would like to share about this aditya smile no, no, I mean, there's there's no there's no question that the administration has completely allowed us all the independence possible that, to pursue this sort of work relating to uh, this crisis that has emerged they are also they have also been very encouraging about sort of the work that we have done and that has come out and so on so they are uh, they are also very excited about it and they're eager to sort of also make it disseminate this across various channels i think this uh, podcast is one such uh, initiative that the institute was very happy to uh, promote i mean in terms of like other uh, sort of aspects of life during these times and working during these times one thing i have found is uh, there are very very effective ways to communicate remotely that i wouldn't have imagined before i mean you know meetings happen work happens uh, you can communicate a surprisingly large amount of information while not even being physically in the proximity of someone so so these are small things that uh, that you know that surprise me once in a while Uh, and it's also quite remarkable i think uh, how all of us have sort of adapted in our own way to try and uh, make sense of the new conditions imanshu yeah we, we did our admission interviews online this year that's something that's a very new experience and because we have admission interviews where we ask technical questions and they're supposed to be solved on a board or something like that and that was not available but we were able to do it 
Yeah, it was fascinating, like trying to communicate with the uh, hundreds of students uh, in all remote corners, perhaps, of the country, uh, you know, hooking up on a 4G connection and talking to them face to face, getting them to actually write and show us and, you know, right. interactive. I mean, it, it is something that we could only have dreamed of. But I think, uh, yeah, technology infrastructure is far more mature than what at least I had imagined. Great, gentlemen. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Anything you think we missed out on? Uh, yeah, just I'd probably just like to make uh, one or two short remarks about sort of the, the work that we are doing. I mean, so of course, uh, although we've been, our work has largely been concerned with modeling something that happens in the physical world. I think one needs to bear in mind the caveat at all times that, you know, models are just uh, very, they can be uh, as bad an approximation of reality as, as they could be. They may not even be true most of the time. I mean, there's this famous quote in statistics that says all models are wrong. Some models may be more useful than the other and so on. Uh, but I think it's just good to bear in mind that all of these are just approaches to understand something that is actually happening. Their value should really be interpreted as something, you know, it's like you should really maybe think of the value of modeling as uh, what it would be without modeling. So, you know, you make decisions uh, in, in the absence of a model or at least uh, on the basis of some model. I think modeling is just a convenient way to encode some assumptions uh, about what is happening and then... Uh, think in a systematic way. I think that's all a model conveys. So one has to obviously bear in mind that the real world problems are very challenging. Models are just one way to think about those problems. Yeah. The other thing is just in the context of what you said as, as a society, are there any things that uh, we may learn going forward? I think uh, although, so, so one thing that impressed me a lot is uh, the way several communities working in various disciplines have come together or are coming together to uh, to make sense, you know, in, in a scientific way about uh, what is happening as the pandemic unfolds. There are engineers, there are scientists, there are, you know, the scientists of all types, biology people, physics people, you know, other people and so on. If more can happen, uh, they could actually lead to uh, some breakthroughs in, in sort of uh, public uh, health and public policy eventually. So things like, you know, economists to study what are the you know economic impacts of public health decisions, like closing uh, some activities, locking something down. Uh, all those have to be factored in uh, into a grand sort of solution about uh, how to manage uh, epidemics. Uh, right. What we are doing is sort of only from one angle, which is sort of the uh, the health angle. But right. one has to realize that society is much more complicated and uh, there are other aspects of it that get hurt uh, when you try to do control some other phenomena. Right? So like, like yeah, this is the cause effect, is the consequence. There's every, a cause effect, there are, there are various trade-offs, complicated trade-offs. And I think to get a fuller picture will, I think, require the involvement and help of uh, many, many other communities. Are there plans to sort of work in tandem with other institutions, people from other disciplines, whether, you know, to use this model as a start or from IISC itself as an institution, is there anything in the pipeline? Uh, well, there are some, I mean, of course, we have been, uh, we have had the uh, good fortune of uh, working with epidemiologists, which which is itself a community that we hadn't, uh, we weren't uh, familiar with earlier. So I guess that's a good sign that there's slowly a coming together of various people and a dialogue between various experts. Although I don't uh, see a concrete uh, sort of uh, evolution of this into sort of uh, casting the net among a wider set of communities, I, I hope that it can happen in, in, in a sort of productive way. Within, within modeling, there is a national level effort. Uh, we are not participating in it. It's called the super model, which tries to bring out the best features of all the models that have been used across country by different research groups into a single model. But it, So yeah, some of our colleagues are participating in that activity. So this is very new for us. Typically, we do the research first and then development. <laughs> this kind of emergency, we started by implementing first and a prototype first and then refining it.
so in terms of full maturity i think it will take some time to because it, we have to get out of the epidemic to think we are in a good position to guide agencies about the best policy so that's what that's the role we are playing we are not giving software package solutions we typically get consulted for some specific aspect and we can bring in insight for that specific aspect so for instance an example would be that now there is a question about how do you use rapid antigen test rat versus rt pcr how do you prefer one over the other one rapid antigen test has lower accuracy but it's fast rt pcr has higher accuracy but it's slow so whom do you give this rapid antigen test whom do you give rt pcr those things are now what we are looking at so government if they see a statistical question will reach out to experts like us different agencies and then we present some statistically sound comparison and finally the policy makers are the only ones who can take a decision on this it's not like we can write a software at least at this point which can solve everything so that's that's the role we have been essentially playing as a sort of a consulting role but in the process we develop simulation frameworks and sometimes some tools which can be used by the ground staff some simple tools can be developed which are lower scale if there's a large scale thing that the software company has to develop it takes a bigger team to do that hope uh, at some point when some i mean when things cool down we hope that we can probably write uh, and put out our experiences or case studies of our work with the authorities and so on but uh, let's see uh, it's also very new for us this is not typical research thread that we pursue where we that thread ends in publication and some work like that so this is something where people are being affected on ground and we have to keep up with the changes every day uh, thank you so much gentlemen thank you thank you it's been enlightening um, and i have to say very reassuring we've been listening to uh, dr aditya gopalan and dr himanshu tyagi from the iisc so thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us and thank good you. luck on all your work thank you for listening for more information on this project or on other projects developed at the iisc please visit covid19.iisc.ac.in that's covid19.iisc dot ac dot in